You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Here we go. <clears throat> okay, recording in progress. No more clearing of the throat. Silence all phones. Have your seatbelt on, listener. Welcome to the show. Welcome, oh, everyone. I was expecting there was no, there was no, good, there was no good morning, even though we're recording this. Uh, listeners, well, I have to apologize in advance. Normally, we record this nice and early in the morning while the caffeine's still flowing through Michael and I's system, and vitamin D from his sun lamp collection is coursing through Fred's veins. But today, we're doing it in the afternoon. So, hey, let's just see what happens. Um, uh, I woke up to snow this morning, so the floods are running a little slowly today. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that doesn't sound great. Um, but hey, it can't be anything worse than what GM Cruise is doing. <laughs> That's right, listeners. Welcome to the GM Cruise is a dumb, dumb project company hour. No, it's not going to be the entire hour, but we told you last week about how GM Cruise, they... California Department of Motor Vehicles said, hey, not in our state anymore. And even the California Public Utility Commission's like, hey, he, even though we paid like one of our salaries for a number of years and we we're going to vote no matter what, this looked really bad when you dragged a pedestrian. So maybe, yeah, don't have these things in our state now. And well, That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> it is. And now Cruz has said in a post, that it will take time to examine its processes, systems, and tools and reflect on how we can better operate in a way that will earn public trust. What does that mean? They've canceled the driverless operations in Austin, Houston, and Phoenix. Um, looks like Miami. I think that might be means on- they're still driving there, right? In all these places, just with a safety driver. Yes. Yeah, so they I'm have a human it. on board. Yeah. Right. There's no, they're not ceasing their operations really anywhere. I don't think even in California, but they're just going to continue using an actual human to make sure they don't do things like <clears throat> drag a pedestrian behind the car after the crash. Right. They're, they're, or resorting. to move the vehicle when they're blocking, you know, a fire truck. It's a lot of the things we've seen. Or like hitting the brake pedal when they hear a fire truck coming and saying, Hey, wet cement. L- let me turn the steering wheel. Yeah, I mean, Cruz, unfortunately, has resorted to an ugly, gross, gaseous meat computer behind their steering wheels. Oh, awful. So, yeah, um, I, I know those of you at home thinking, oh, man, weren't you guys going to go easy on GM Cruz? Nope, because they're bad. And speaking of who's not going easy on them is friend of the show, Phil Copeman, not pronounced Koopman, even though that's how his name is spelled. Phil Copeman on his blog, Safe Autonomy. He did a, a, a bit of a dive into the California DMV database and from the opening part of his blog, a comparison of California Cruise robot taxi crash reports between the California DMV database and the NHTSA SGO database reveals significant discrepancies in reporting. 31 crashes reported to NHTSA do not appear in the California DMV databases. This includes seven unreported injury crashes. Is every other car CEO going, how do we pull shit like this? Well, I mean, that that one is, I'm wondering how NHTSA hasn't already jumped up and fined Cruz, actually, because if you look at the standing general order, which Phil referenced in his post comparing it to the California reports, it, if you look at the report that, that Cruz filed with them when this event took place, they don't mention the post-crash incident. I mean, they're clearly misleading NHTSA's authorities when they send in that report under the standing general order. There's a provision in the standing general order that you know provides for fines, rather large fines in some cases, for false reporting. And so we expect to see a fine there. I mean, I don't think there's any question that Cruz was leaving out the most important and safety uh related part of that entire incident that occurred with the pedestrian in their standing general order report i mean it's it's NHTSA posted it to the docket of the investigation you can see it right there there's no mention whatsoever 
of the vehicle moving um, after the initial incident, which is, you know, clearly lying by omission. Um, and w- what got them in trouble with the California DMV in the first place. So, Fred, you've had a bit of a, um, how do I say, a bit of a uh, an adventurous experience with the law in your in your youth, right? Fair enough. I I can concur with that. Yes. Okay. Just just one. Well, look, we're you know. This hey, is never been arrested. Program. Never been arrested. Never been convicted. So, if you were going to lie to a federal regulator, would it be the one that oversees your industry? Or we just stick to the IRS and be like, ah, I didn't know that wasn't a deduction. I mean, I, I run a cat uh, ranch. You know, once you start down that road, it's hard to know where to stop. I suppose. Um, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna lie to anybody, it's going to be the person who's most responsible for your behavior, right? There's no there's no point lying to somebody if they've got nothing to do with your freedom. So, uh, right. <laughs> That's I mean, why, why I lie to myself. Why waste the energy? So, <laughs> GM's had years of experience lying to people. So, this maybe there was a considered decision. This is the way to go. Well, it, okay. it, it really is puzzling. So, GM, the old car company that's been around for over a century at this point, they've made this mistake in the past of lying or misleading or you know, you know, being jackasses. Whereas GM Cruise, it's the hip new tech bro thing. They haven't had that experience of uh, of lying to regulators on the regular and getting caught for it. It's the kind of the tech bro mantra. Regulators are stupid, man. We're changing the world. My app will do everything. So is is that what GM Cruise needs is just to be slapped down? and Or, or do they need like big mama GM to be like, hey, dummies, we've gotten caught in the past and it led to things like the creation of the center for auto safety well i mean i don't i, I don't know that even this you know the the slap that's provided for in the standing general order for this probably isn't enough to affect them i mean i think they pretty clearly need new leadership at cruise i mean they're <laughs> they're functionally have spread out across america and told lots of fibs about how great autonomous vehicles and robo taxis are going to be while they've caused a, a lot of problems in the communities where they're deployed. Um, and they're doing this in a way that's not responsible. It's it's not, you know, they say they're going to have to go back and rebuild trust with, you know, their America and their customers. And I'm wondering, you know, when did you ever build it in the first place? <laughs> um, you've been coming out and, you know, saying we're going to save the world, save people from themselves. And meanwhile, you know, you're having to misrepresent, you know, very simple incidents like this. You know, if your vehicle had simply stopped when it should have known it was on top of another human and, you know, disabled itself and you had the software, the hardware to do that in the vehicle, we wouldn't be in this place. And the fact that you're literally taking video showing it to reporters showing it to who knows else telling the california dmv that only the first part of this happened this pedestrian was struck by another vehicle we struck the vehicle there was no way to avoid it well we're not going to tell them that they're you know they didn't tell them that there was this post-crash incident which which is really important i mean that post-crash incident shows it's one yet another example that these things don't operate as well as humans. Most humans would never start a car up and attempt to move it when another human was under the vehicle. So it's it's a pattern there. And I think it suggests that there's a problem at Cruise. You know, there's a problem with transparency, with, you know, not only the public, but with federal authorities. And that's never a good thing. I think there's probably a group of people wearing green eye shades at GM who are taking a long, hard look at this right now. Um, all of a sudden, instead of a development program that looked like it's on the tracks and things are going just fine, we're expanding around the country. Oops, everything slams into reverse. They're spending an enormous amount of money on this program. And so all of a sudden, they've got a tremendous amount of money going out. And a huge question mark about when they'll ever see this issue closed out and what happens then. At the same time, as as uh, you guys know, they are facing the fact that Honda has said, 
you know, this EV industry isn't what we thought it was going to be, and we're going to pull out of the partnership with you to use your uh, EV industry, use your EV components. Uh, now, Cruise is not an EV, but you know, I think in the management mind, these are all coupled. And so there's uh, the changes that are taking place in the EV and the AV markets right now. Neither one of them leans in the direction of early uh, positive return on investment. Uh, I, I I don't know. I'm guessing there's going to be a comeuppance fairly soon about the strategic allocation of resources towards crews. We'll see. Uh, well, I yeah, mean, Honda actually, you know, they're they're backing away from the EV, but they're kind of. They're staying, they seem to be staying on course with Cruise as far as Honda wants to introduce the origin, uh, Anthony's favorite uh, vehicle to Japan, I believe, in the next couple of years. So they're partnering, it looks like, on on some introductions in Japan. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Honda thinks about this. Honda is traditionally a lot more careful when it comes to safety defects and this type of thing than general motors in my experience here of the last 20 some odd years and it's a little surprising to me that they've jumped onto the cruise ship versus another another manufacturer or even doing it themselves well they've i think they bought into the hype it was hard not to you know you looked at the margins that Elon Musk is bringing in with Tesla you look at you know all the news you look at the benign regulatory environment a couple of years ago, and it all looked like things were headed in the same direction. But I think there's been significant changes over the just the last couple of years in all of those respects. The Teslas, the other EVs are languishing in the storerooms right now, and they're just not being sold the way they were going to be. Uh, as, as you'll talk about later, there's a pushback in Norway about the most electrified country in the world right now for automotives. Uh, acknowledging the economic disparities that are being subsidized by the government and the fact that the cities don't really want all these lumbering vehicles lumbering around in their particular cities. Uh, There's a lot of cross-currents here, and they're not all moving in the direction of early profitability for GM crews. But their designs are so pretty. Um, speaking of the origin, uh, so yeah, we just covered a lot of things we're going to get to later on, but let's, let's stick with this robo taxi stuff. So Fred, you mentioned that, uh, they were all interested in this benign regulatory infrastructure. And I think, Hey, one way to get regulators to be less benign, lie to them. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Hey, GM might've actually, GM Cruise might've just done a great thing for NHTSA because NHTSA like, wait a second, you're going to lie to us. I'm going to take you out back. I'm going to beat you down. And, uh, you know, that's probably what will happen. I mean, California DMV has been chomping at the bit. The California Public Utility Commission's on the other hand is like, eh, hey, would you like to see my resume? Uh, I don't know. And, and know. The, the standing general order process of reporting is, is it's not just the first report. You know, you have to make one report within, I think, 24 hours of the event. But then at that point, you have to follow up with other reports. Um, and I'm wondering at which point in those reports, crews started crawfishing and letting NHTSA know about the um, post-crash incident. Because what, they what is crawfishing? Their first that means backing away from your position. Have you ever seen how a craw, crawfish swims backwards? Oh. Flicks its tail? Yeah. This is some more southern back stuff. Backpedaling would be a, a ah, backpedaling. Yankees there understand. We well, yes, us us in the the north, we understand that one. I mean, earlier you said the word fibbing, and I was like, oh, you're putting on your cute. I'm just a simple country lawyer speak. That's <laughs> here. Um, it comes out. I can't help it. <laughs> so, uh, so GM Cruise, they're putting humans inside their car, the old uh, old meat computer. Um, and, but Uber, on the other hand, uh, this is from October 26th and their blog saying starting today, Uber customers can get matched up with a fully autonomous, all electric Waymo ride with no human driver behind the wheel. You don't have to listen to their awful music or smell their awful cuisine in the 225 plus square miles of the Metro Phoenix area where Waymo currently operates. So GM crews, they're like, ah, this is no good. They stop and Uber and Waymo are just like, ah, people are, we have to pay them. Let's get, 
rid of them in well, Phoenix. The, the, the really interesting thing about this is, you know, Uber was responsible for the only death that we know of that's been caused by an autonomous vehicle uh, a few years back in Arizona. And now they're back in the game. So maybe that's good news for Cruz. I don't know. Luckily for Uber, they've partnered with a more responsible uh, teammate than, than themselves uh, uh-huh. in Waymo, which has, you know, been at the head of the curve as far as, you know, being a little more transparent than Cruz. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't necessarily think they're the good guys yet, but they're, they're, you know, definitely crossing more T's and dotting I's than Cruz is on safety. Um, but there's still a lot of, you know, there's still a lot to be told there. They're only going to be operating right now in the Arizona areas where, you know, the weather and the roads are fairly, fairly stable and, um, you know, easy for these vehicles to navigate and good weather and all those things. And they've been on the roads in Chandler, Arizona, and those areas for many years now operating Waymo has. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that makes sense to us. You operate in one area, you get to know a lot about it over a few years, and then you turn on the button and, and see if you can operate there. But you can't just start in one spot for a few months and then hop to 20 other cities across the country. I just, I don't know that that's reasonable and it's not really the model that, you know, I think some of the more responsible companies that are testing and deploying this stuff are are using. Could it be because GM Cruise backed by General Motors primarily is a 10th, if even that much, the size of Waymo, which is backed by Google, which just craps money and they don't have a rush to be like, Hey, we have to get out into 30 markets by the end of the year. They can just yeah, burn into know. money. I, I'm not sure that comes to the dynamics of investments and a lot of other things that I'll never truly understand. But, you know, Waymo has and Google have been in this space now, you know, a lot longer than Cruise has. And, you know, hey, I think Kyle's we, been doing this since he was a child. Don't you remember? He had an RC car when he was a little boy. And this is his dream come true, damn it. Well, that was only three years ago. Ah, yo, that's ageism, buddy. Okay, look. I think GM <laughs> is trying to become Waymo. I think GM is trying to become Google. You know, they've they've seen this, uh, all this activity. They're trying to open up an app store. They're opening up the API for their uh, electronic control system in their vehicles. And I think what they really want to do is they they really, really, really want to be Google. They'd much rather have a return on investment of 800% per year than the 5% per year that they're getting now. Um, so this, I, I think this is probably all part of a corporate strategy to remake GM in, in the mode of Google. Um, or you make I, money I, on your tech and, you know, subscriptions and things versus the actual vehicle. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, matter is so old school. <laughs> it truly is. 13 billion years or so, right? Uh, it's 5,000 years old. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the uh, let, Let's jump into GM opening up their APIs. Uh, so this is, uh, instead of focusing on things that I think and that we think would be great, like automatic emergency braking um, and, you know, uh, not using arc airbags they're spending time saying hey uh, which is I, I think is a smart idea in some sense saying hey we should probably you know build our own software in our cars instead of just using google and, and apple stuff and letting them take all the money well gm not a software company decided hey we're going to become a software company because you know if i say it it must be easy and they started opening up a set of apis which are application programming interfaces uh, so software developers can add cool little apps and while you're driving, you can download an app to like, Hey, let's defrost my seats at the same time as it rolled down on the windows and flashes my high beams. I don't really know what these things are going to do, but those are some of the openings they have in their applications. I don't yeah. know what thought they've given it all to safety concerns, or are they only going to allow you to download apps while the car is parked? Or are they going to let you do anything? Is there any limitations on, hey, let's not have people be able to flash lights? As an well, the safety problems run a lot deeper than that, Anthony, because, you know, and the traditional API for software that's sitting on your computer, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to crash the computer. Um, 
The second worst thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to use those APIs to get into your databases and steal your money. Uh, but the third thing that's going to the thing that's really important about these APIs is they're on a moving vehicle, which automatically jeopardizes you and jeopardizes the people around you. And unless you've got a lot of firewalls built into these APIs to make sure that nobody can do anything catastrophic to the motion of the vehicle, you're really opening yourself up to a, a lot of jeopardy that some person, and there are dopes in the world who would do this, will find a way to put the API in there and be a great way to uh, blackmail somebody, wouldn't it? If you <laughs> give me Bitcoin or you're going to crash into a wall at 800 miles an hour. Um, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stick with my, I'm going to stick with my old Subaru for a while. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So that's the thing is they're, um, these APIs, they haven't, they've just kind of just very, early talked about, hey, this is what will allow developers to do and we'll have an ecosystem and some other BS marketing type terms. And we'll uh, take 30%. Exactly. That, that's the that's the business model they all want is we yeah. want to take 30% just like Apple. Um, yeah, well, do Apple's nothing. already in their cars doing that, right? Through right. the phones and their interfaces that, that they have. You know, some of these vehicles already have Android or Apple built into the system. Some don't. But in that case, a lot of people use their phones instead of the system. So, they want a piece of that market. There are a lot of things people do in cars that are monetized now. And, you know, why not? They're, they're, you know, I think that's that's their approach. You know, we can only make so much money selling cars. You know, we need to get, open this e ecosystem to developers who want to make, you know, apps and software for GM owners and vehicle users. And, you know, that makes sense to an extent, um, whether people are going to adopt that over the options they already have on their phones, you know, it remains to be seen. The problem with doing this in cars is something, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh, safety. Yeah. Cause every week we talk about how rear view cameras stop working because they're tied into like the entertainment system. And so now you're opening up the APIs to allow people to do stuff and that's going to break. And the amazing thing about software is unlike automobiles, Unlike airplanes, unlike trains, uh, there's no regulations. There's no government oversight saying, hey, this is safe what you've deployed. Like when Boeing, you know, writes software, they they check things over and over again. And they're like, hey, no one will catch on to this thing with the engines and the max. Uh, but seriously, they, you know, there's a bunch of very standardized practices. They do a very old school approach to these things. Uh, it's still not perfect, but I mean, if NHTSA or can't you know oversee things like a b emergency automatic emergency braking how are they going to do you know kyle now that he's an app developer you know making auto defrost be quicker how, how's that going to happen well, i mean it's weird because here you're functionally asking people programmers from outside of your company to design and you know make apps that are going to be running on the car while the vehicle's moving in some cases a lot of cases not but whatever the apps are for and that's you know you can't you can't test a vehicle and certify it and then sell it and say you know we've completely validated this whole thing is safe when they're going to be outside um outside agents you know designing software that they're going to pop onto the vehicle later that seems really problematic and to me it suggests that we need to have you know a firewall or some type of separation between you know any system in the vehicle that that you know controls vehicle performance is any way related to safety and then all this other stuff the infotainment the APIs that, you know, can tell people all sorts of things about their car that most of us don't care about and all those other things that are being designed right now. There needs to be some type of system that prevents, you know, any outside actor from being able to program anything that has to do with vehicle performance and safety. Or even just like heated seats. So like right now, if my heated seats, like I don't have heated seats, but I want to one day I want to have heated seats. If they fail and they don't turn off, I know that I can go to Toyota and be like, your product failed and Toyota will do a recall. But now I'm using Kyle's excellent butt warmer 9000. Uh, I don't know. Did his software fail or did the hardware inside the car fail? Who's going to recall this? Because my ass is on fire. 
Yeah. Ask no Lucid. <laughs> Ask Lucid. We'll get to Lucid a, later on. You know, it's, there... it's, we're going to have to see more questions than, than I can imagine answers for. It's just, it's a, it's a whole new universe. And, you know, in the future, everything will be better, right? Well, maybe not in this case. I don't know. How do we fit Piggly Wiggly into this conversation, oh, by the way? Well, that's the thing is all these, I'm going to create the app that just takes you to the nearest Piggly Wiggly. You have no control over it. You have no say. You just get in there. There's going to be a pig icon. You press it. And, you know, for me, living in the the, the Yankee country, it will take yep. me a long time to get to a Piggly Wiggly, I imagine. But I will be so happy when I get there. But not as happy as you, listener, when you click on that donate button on autosafety.org. Go to autosafety.org and click that donate button. And, uh, you know, then you can just come back and listen to this podcast again and lig- giggle at the word Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> just like me. <laughs> Go ahead. Donate. <laughs> Piggly Wiggly. Ah, oh, I'm a grown-up. Um, okay, so we've covered that. So we were just talking about, um, uh, so let's, let's jump into, so Toyota has been kind of against electric vehicles for a while. And they're like, no, this is not good. They've been kind of putting all their money on, on, uh, on, uh, on hydrogen. There's no infrastructure for that really either. There's not infrastructure. There's, there is some infrastructure for electronic vehicle, electric vehicles. There's definitely is. Um, but no one's buying these things. And the Toyota chairman, the former Toyota, CEO is like, ha ha, no one's buying these things. I told you. And a bunch of auto execs were like, ha ha, no one's buying these things. Uh, GM CEO Mary Barra said that she's surprised that no one's buying these things. But GM uh, was surprising. They had a really hot seller of an electric vehicle. Like people were buying them. People loved it. The Bolt was great using old battery technology, but people loved it. They sold a ton of them. And then they're like, I got an idea. Let's make something more expensive, really heavy, and stupid. We'll call it the Hummer EV, and we'll put all of our resources into that. And now GM's like, why is nobody buying our stupid, stupid cars? Hey, you mentioned, as, as an aside, you mentioned <laughs> the hydrogen yes. uh, experience. You know, and I was always programmed to say, well, there's no such thing as a hydrogen well in the world. And it turns out I was wrong. It turns out that there's just been a test well drilled in France, of all places, that has discovered an enormous uh, reservoir of organically produced hydrogen. Uh, apparently, it's, it's gigantic. And so it may be a... a uh, reasonable successor to natural gas in that economy. So things things could rapidly be changing in the world of hydrogen um, as an aside. Oh, that's interesting. We'll talk about that on Fred Perkins' podcast, Gas, Gas, Gas. Um, that, the, that's the, the CEO of Toyota, I mean, he basically was, you know, pressured to leave his position because he had positioned Toyota and what I think we said at the time was, you know, a market reality that you're going to have to be relying on ICE vehicles for a long time now still until people can actually adopt the EVs or until the batteries get good enough that, you know, everyone in America can adopt them right now. They're really not at that point. Um, and he no, said, you know, we're going to rely true. on hybrids. That's not we, true. No, the, 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 we've discussed this, haven't we? That the batteries are good enough. It just people want, they want, want the last 800 miles, whatnot. Whereas right now, are they well, not? No, good I enough? mean, for, for, you know, for, for the guys who are buying pickup trucks, this, yeah. this big fleet of pickup trucks that GM wanted to sell, well, the, you know, they're not buying them because they can only tow so far. They can only work so many hours in a day when they've got an EV, they have to plug it in charge versus gas, which they can just fill the car with and keep working. Um, there's a lot of drawbacks there. And there's also, you know, there's some resistance to EVs in America. There's some people who will be damned if they'll buy an EV at this right. point. He knew that, you know, he knew that there was going to be demand for ice for many years now. I mean, not just political, but, you know, I'm still, you know, I can't afford an electric vehicle yet. I don't know about you guys. They're not cheap. Um, so there's still a long way to go bridging all the gaps that it's going to take to make EVs work for everyone. Um, 
And, you know, I think he recognized that. He was positioning Toyota to to make a lot of money on that while everyone else rushed into EVs. And for some reason, um, you know, his he was pressured to step down from his position because of that. So that's, you know. Well, we, I, talked I, a couple of, we talked a couple of weeks ago about Toyota's announcement of a big advancement in battery technology. The solid-state so, stuff. The solid state battery, right? Remember that? Yep. Um, they were talking about tremendous price benefits as well as performance benefits. So maybe Toyota is coming at this uh, correctly from two different directions. One is to maintain their current profitable sales of the, uh, the ICE internal combustion engine vehicles, mm-hmm. as well as positioning themselves to bring in this low priced, uh, high performance battery technology if and That's when it becomes available. And catch on fire. Right. That's yeah. the big, yeah, that's the, the big and thing. It makes with a that lot stuff. more sense for a, a lot of people, really. I mean, you can fit more, uh, you know, more energy density into the batteries means you can either choose range or choose the lower vehicle weights or, you know, add power to some of the pickup trucks that simply aren't operating long enough to, for a farmer to use and a, a lot of things like that. Better batteries are going to solve those problems. And in many ways, I think the batteries we, came out with in this first you know run of evs is it are going to be you know ultimately going to be seen as inferior i think yeah. from an environmental and a safety perspective yeah it could be you're right it's just this is the the first generation really um but yeah we will you guys have educated me on repeatedly is you know behind your ev should be uh uh like 30 fire trucks just in case just in case it's a tesla ah Oh, um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Listeners, I'm curious what have any of you bought EVs? Have you? If so, write in, let us know. Contact at autosafety.org. But first, you have to donate. That part's not true, but it just makes me feel better. Um, yeah, seriously, let us know what your thoughts on EVs are because we always thought that Norway, um, was the uh, the poster child for electric cars. They're uh, they're having second thoughts, uh, and it's interesting why they're having second thoughts on EVs is, uh, is an article in Vox.com we have a link to, um, that their EV bonanza did reduce emissions, but at the expense of compromising vital societal goals. Eye-popping EV subsidies have flowed largely to the affluent, same problem in the U.S., contributing to the gap between rich and poor in a country proud of its egalitarian egalitarian social policies just like the u.s uh worse the ev boom has hobbled norwegian cities efforts to untether themselves from the automobile and enable residents to instead travel by transit or bicycles uh decisions that do more to reduce emissions enhance road safety and enliven urban life than a swapping a gas-powered car for an electric one I think so Norway has, you know, Norway may be surprising to some listeners. It's a little surprising to me. You know, they, per capita, they have double, even a little more than double the land area that we do in the United States. Really? Um, yeah. So I think it's, they have like 66 kilometer, square kilometers of land per person. And we have about 30 in oh, America. Okay. So they're facing, you know, where Whereas you think of Europe, you know, you would think it in more dense cities, more, you know, than America, which is sometimes used as the Wild West. That's not really the case with Norway and some other places. They have a lot of space. And Norway has pursued EVs, you know, harder than any country on the planet, really. Um, but what they've seen is that, you know, like like we're seeing in America, most of the EVs are too expensive for low-income folks to afford. They're not really making a huge impact um in the cities where they're and 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 also that it seemed like people were just buying them in norway as just to have a third car or to get a tax benefit from it and not really as their vehicle they need to use every day that was you know it just seems like there were some um some real problems that were created in that rush because you're not rushing there to you know transform your entire infrastructure you're just rushing towards a new type of vehicle that's going to continue to operate on roads in the same manner as all the other vehicles that are out there maybe a little more environmentally friendly um simultaneously michael points out in the article that the city governments are trying to restrict 
the use of automobiles in the cities as much as possible. So these right. two different government agencies were working at cross purposes. And I wonder if we're seeing that in the United States too. You know, we've talked about a lot of cities that are you know, starting to try to charge people more for having big trucks, charge people more for, um, you know, parking larger vehicles in spaces. Uh, the little hamlet you know, I live in is proposing congestion pricing. Right. And, so. you know, that's that there is, you know, in cities and probably rightly so, you know, there's there is an anti-car agenda because they are the source of a lot of congestion. You know, a lot of people drive cars around for really no good reason at all. Um, you know, besides just people that steal Hyundais and Kias and Joy Ride, <laughs> they're, you know, people who drive, you know, two hours round trip just to get a particular kind of fried chicken. You know, there's a lot of things that cars enable you to do that you, you know, in a normal world with the wagon and buggy, you wouldn't be able to. So a lot of unnecessary trips, cities are usually the center of a lot of this stuff. And so, you know, there's, there's always a tension between, you know, what's good for the entire country versus what's good for the city. And we see that play out in, in, you know, American transportation politics a lot more, you know, now I think that we've ever seen before um, because there are a lot of people who live in rural areas who rely on really big trucks and things to get their jobs done. But, you know, taking those vehicles into cities doesn't work out so well. Um, and they don't operate quite as well in the environment. I know I don't like driving a really large truck in the in, in Washington when I have to drive one here in D.C. How about y'all? I love he said. No, How about I, y'all? I think it's great fun. Great fun. Anthony, <laughs> I, I, but hasn't it haven't studies shown that most of the traffic in New York City is just people circulating looking for a parking spot? <laughs> it could be. I have no idea. But I, again, Michael, I, I'm not trying to start something today. I'm going to have, you know, two hours for fried chicken because that actually inspired me because there's this place in Chinatown. Oh, my God. This uh, fried rice is unbelievable. It's made like with happiness and just sunshine. But if I could get there in the subway, which I could, but then I got to get back on the subway. By the time I get home, it's cold. Whereas if I drive there, it's probably like it might be an hour round trip. Uh, but it's still hot when you get home. Still. Yeah, exactly. Because well, that was came from personal life. experience when my daughter was <laughs> a couple of years ago. My daughter was in high school. Her and a friend wanted to drive. I don't know where it was. It was an hour away back and forth to get fried chicken. And I'm like. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't work with dad's risk calculations <laughs> like we you know we could there are a lot of things that are worth traveling an hour for but that's probably not one of them but well did they bring you back any of the fried chicken they didn't go yeah oh see you know that's more of the lack of a frontal cortex being fully developed there i think is what happened there um all right, let's jump back into to Toyota real quick. So we were talking about how, hey, Toyota made the right decision saying, hey, let's slow roll EVs. At the same time, and we've mentioned this once before, Toyota has an EV where they put in a clutch and a shifter. Like, they're not real clutches. They're not real shifters. They're like weird little toys that you can actually, quote unquote, stall an electric vehicle. Now, this is some weird fetish thing. That some engineer at Toyota is like, yeah, now I'm really driving. I got my fake pedal. And it makes me wonder, like when they first sold like the Model T, was was Henry Ford be like, we got to put in some horse sounds. Like we people are going to miss the horse. Can we, let's 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 fill the seats full of horse manure. So it gives that authentic driving experience. Well, this is not a very safe, not a very safe choice here. Someone hitting a third pedal that's just a button. Like what what's what are they thinking? Hey, it's all fun. The reviewer said it was a blast to drive. Uh, Bur- you know, brought back all those warm and fuzzy memories. Yeah, there's it's it's an Ars technical ar- article. Uh and people in the comments are like, Oh, could I use this to train my kid how to drive a stick? Like, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just silly to me. I mean, well, I, I think, you know, at a base level, it just seems unsafe to me because you're providing the driver with, you know, stimulus. Basically, you're providing the driver with data for things that aren't that don't exist in reality. You don't have gears. You don't have a clutch. And why on earth would you want to experience those, you know, false fake feelings while you're driving an electric vehicle it seems like it could 
I don't know. There, it just seems ripe for all sorts of problems there uh, because you're really just trying to create an experience there. Well, I mean, what if I want an experience of flying a plane while I drive a car? Can I do that too? Like With my app, where, you can. Does, where does this end? And, and why are we distracting drivers with this kind of nonsense? Um, this kind of hey, that, always that's in there a great idea, kind of Michael. <laughs> that's a great idea. And maybe, you know, the GM API, they could do that. Yep. You're not driving your Hummer. You're flying it. You're flying it. You could project the you know terrain onto the windshield. You could do the elevation. You could come in for hard landings. Be a real blast. I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, I I learned how to drive a stick on a uh, a Honda Civic that uh, I thought this is how all sticks were, but no, because when you'd be on a on an incline like stopped at a traffic light, you'd have to dance and like pull on the parking brake or else yep. they would roll back it was You're just going backwards oh it was a just anxiety inducing nightmare i hate stick that was one of the why. first yeah. things i had i had an 84 honda accord and that was the first thing i really had to focus on was being able to when i'm on a hill being able to stop at a stop sign pull forward without rolling backwards into the vehicle behind me right Right. I changed my commute. Kidding and looking like a terrible driver. <laughs> or stalling on that incline right. and then having a oh, restart. You you, you're not even close to, to horror stories. Look, I had a 1961 <laughs> Volkswagen Beetle with a broken clutch, and I couldn't afford to fix the clutch. So I had to learn all about power shifting and you know synchronizing <laughs> RPM. And I had to learn to do all that without a clutch. And I also had to learn to time traffic lights, particularly when I was going up a hill, really carefully, because if I was going up a hill and the light turned red, I was in a world of hurt. Um, <laughs> but you know, going downhill was perfectly fine, and but- then the level was fine. I would just put it in second gear, turn the ignition on, and push the car, uh, you know, th- open the driver's door, push the car until it started to kick over, and then before the car got away from me, I'd jump in the driver's seat and off we'd go. Yeah, we so it was all perfectly safe, though. <laughs> perfectly safe. Did you ever get to a light and have to heading uphill and have to stop and then make yourself have to turn around and go back downhill so you could come back up the hill again? <laughs> well, it was a little embarrassing because the people behind, you know, I'd have to wave them around and then wait till the road cleared and then do what I had to do. But, uh, Oh, no, I would never do that. I'm always a safe driver. Michael, (laughs) what are you talking about? Uh, Speaking of nightmares, it's that time for the Tao of Fred. You've now entered the Tao of Fred. I'll try that again. It's time for everybody's happy-go-lucky fun-fun time hour. It's not going to be an hour. But today, uh, the topic from looking at my notes is safety inspections. Hopefully, part of the safety inspection is seeing, does this car have a working clutch? Fred, yeah, well, uh, what's a safety uh, inspection? Oh, welcome to the world of Tower, Fred. I appreciate the listeners. So, listen, we've been looking at uh, safety inspections. And, and M- Michael, how many states have safety inspections? And more to the point, how many do not? 15 do now and 35 do not. Wait, wait, wait. There's and in 35. Fact, I think 36 maybe because the District of Columbia may be one of those safety inspection states that's con- it's considered a state for the purposes of that conversation. But I did it's have really low. It's really low. I mean, we were shocked to find that out. Um, but they do tend to be the larger states that have the safety inspections because, you know, congestion and people crashing into each other. Anyway, we've been uh, thinking about how this applies to ADAS or autom- automated driver assistance system technology, as well as um, autonomous vehicles, because they're already here. They're in the car that I own. They're in the car that many people own. And you trust your life to these safety critical features that are completely automated. So how does the state wrap itself around these and do a safety inspection? Uh, so we've been looking at that a little bit, and it turns out it's not easy. Uh, you can specify the kind of things that people should be looking for in an autonomous vehicle. You can, you know, the the safety features that are built into it, uh, the things that you cannot visually or, you know, tactically examine to make sure that they're working properly, which is what the safety inspections were intended to do, right? Look at the tires, look at the wipers, the windshield got any holes in it, all those kinds of things. 
but all of the safety critical features embedded in a computer are simply not accessible to a human being using their own senses. So you've got to rely on technology to look at those. And uh, rather than talk about the enumeration of all the different things you need to look at, uh, at the top level, these are the kind of things that the state has got to do. They need to define what the safety critical features are, right? So what is a safety critical feature? What's not a safety critical feature? Is, is automatic parking a safety critical feature? I don't know. Lane keeping assist probably is because you don't want to bang into the cars next to you. But somebody in a position of authority has got to define what those are. Uh, then there needs to be establishment of safe operational bounds for all of those safety critical features. You know, uh, for example, think of steering, right? If you steer the car, you can steer it really a lot at very low speeds, which is what you do when you're parking. If you steer that same car to the same extent when you're going 70 miles an hour, uh, you're in a world of hurt because you're going to, you know, flip off the driveway or run into somebody around you. So you've got to, you've got to be able to record how the vehicle performed within its safe bounds over a function of time and over the operating envelope of the car. So this is not easy. Real quick, so because uh, I've often thought about this, and this is just the child in me. When you're going 70 miles per hour, can you actually yank? Can will the car actually allow you to yank the steering wheel and do crazy things? You can do it once, <laughs> but oh man, it's going to be a good story. Yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> yep. Maybe. Hope you live to tell the story. Well, you know, uh, all my food will be liquid, but yep. So then something else has got to happen is that there's got to be a requirement that the vehicles record sufficient data and track it appropriately so that you can actually tell whether or not the vehicle is operating within the bounds of its own safety limits. Um, so what else have you got to do? Well, you, now you've got to specify a server somewhere so that the person in the inspection facility, a gas station or what have you, or dealers, dealer, can actually hook into your car and get a readout of what the safety critical features are and how they've been performing. This is a, it's a substantial task to do this. And in order to make it happen, you'll probably have to have a standard API that all of the different automobile companies use so that you've only got to have you know one server rather than 100 servers for 100 different brands of cars. This is a, this is a lot of work. Um, so you need the specifications, you need the API, you need to figure out where the server is going to be. You could put the server in the car itself, because the server, after all, is just a bunch of software. So you could put it in the car, or you could put it somewhere else. Uh, and if you put it somewhere else, like a central server, you've got to address the cybersecurity issues associated with that, like you would with any other server. Um, but then would a state police be able to pull over a semi-tractor trailer and do a safety inspection if they have to rely on a remote server somewhere. I don't know the answer to that. Somebody, but somebody's got to figure that out. If you've got the server on board the the vehicle, it's pretty straightforward, right? You just log into the server and out it could come. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the best answer is, but states have simply got to step up to this and this is not just for the future of avs this is for the current generation of vehicles that have adas built into them yeah i'm wondering um, how this would how does this work in i mean i guess in a simple way or the way i think about it most most often is automatic emergency braking so ab is you know going to be programmed into your car using sensors and all sorts of things when you get it what is the state looking for, say, you go in for a safety inspection five years later? I mean, are we expecting the state to basically go in and look at the software and make sure that it's working properly? Or are we expecting the state really just to be looking at the cameras or whatever sensors that the AEB is using to make its decisions and make sure that they're calibrated properly what exactly do we because because there's you know there's states can only do so much here because they can't you know get into the area of NHTSA and federal regulations too much but they do have the authority to make sure that vehicles are in good operating condition 
The details of that answer, I don't know. But in general, every vehicle that's operating this way has got something called an OEDR implementation, object event and uh, detection detection and response, response, right? So all of the AEB systems, for example, have got to have something like that. There have got to be parameters inside of that computer that says either it's working the way it's supposed to or it's not working the way it's supposed to. So I think you would you would probably be looking at whether or not an image was received by the AEB system. Um, and then what happened? You know, how do you how do you take apart that OEDR? This is not it's not simple. There's and gotta be a way to like put is it something that the car images. Yeah, I'm just wondering if is it something that the car could, you know, when you start the car, the car does a self check, and it should, sure yes. that all these things are in place, and then that's, you know, you don't have to go to the inspection station, right? Wouldn't that be a lot easier? But <laughs> well, it would be a lot easier, but but again, you're looking at a world where they're going to open up the APIs to third parties, right? So it would be conceivable that a third party could simply go in and alter the data that's in the vehicle so that even if it was uh, intended to be operating normally, even if it does have a built-in diagnostic system, it's just software, right? You could go ahead and you could subvert that. You could also inject malicious software into that system so that it's the same way worms work now, right? So this your computer goes ahead and runs, does everything it's supposed to do, except it happens to send your credit card information to Nigerian princes. So hey, he you know, needs help. They they do need help, yes. So there, you know, there, there's a lot of thorny issues that come out of this. I think as uh, you know, I think that the states are going to have to do a crawl, walk, run approach to this. And start somewhere and start saying, okay, well, I'm going to look at first, I don't know, the uh, performance margins of the centralized computer. You've got to be able to verify that the computer has performance margin available throughout the operating design domain or throughout its operational use, right? You want to make sure that the computer isn't oversaturated. So that would be a good place to start. Uh, you want to make sure that signals are coming in from the camera into the processing system so that people can analyze the images and find out if something's in front of you or whatever, you know, whatever the system is. So it's, it would be incumbent on the manufacturers to go ahead and develop their safety margin information capability so that somebody can look at that and say, okay, you're within the margins or you're not. Right. It's certainly possible that you've got safety critical features in the system that are completely inoperable, but you don't know it because you haven't encountered the situation for which that feature was designed. So yeah, uh, there's got to be a comprehensive look at that. Um, so all of that stuff is associated with all of the, the vehicles that have built-in safety critical features. An alternative would be for the states to say, the hell with it. We'll just develop, you know, <laughs> we'll just punt on this and let the manufacturers do whatever they do. That's yeah, certainly we'll looking uh, at the tires and whether you have a crack in your window that's longer than your forearm and right. the rest of <laughs> yeah. it. Well, yeah. those things, yeah. And uh, a lot of companies would like that to happen because, you know, it's it's easier for them. They don't have to accommodate anybody and they don't have to report to anybody what the status of the safety critical systems is. I spoke with one dealer who sells cars that that have a lot of these features, and they said, "Well, it, it you know, it self reports. You you know, just trust us. It's going yeah. to tell you if anything's wrong. It's no, a bad week us. for that. Yeah, trust <laughs> us is good, but it doesn't always work. But so, before we leave this, okay, I, I just wanted to throw one more thing in there. In addition to all of this stuff that's got to happen at the state level and at the manufacturer's level to make these in, uh, features inspectable." For a full AV system, a full autonomous vehicle system, you're not going to be able to navigate that into the inspection bay, right? It's it's very unlikely that you're going to be programming it so it goes into the inspection bay so that it can be conveniently located or inspected. Also true for things like heavy trucks. They simply won't fit into an inspection bay. 
So the state is going to have to come up with some way of defining an inspection area that is consistent with the AV capability. So the AV can come to the inspection area and be inspected and, you know, check the lights, check the tires, check all that stuff that's got to get checked on any vehicle. But if you can't drive the vehicle to the inspection station, you got to have the vehicle drive itself to the inspection station and special accommodations that are required to make that happen. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that's going to happen here before the states are going to be able to do, manage the safety inspections of both ADAS and AVs. And to the best of our knowledge, none of that has yet happened. So we're looking at that. We're trying to help people understand what's required and hopefully, uh, you know, roll this into some legislation or some initiatives within the states that will allow them to continue to do the safety inspections meaningfully as the safety critical features move further and further away from the traditional approach that says use your, you know, use your human capabilities to do this safety inspection. It's that is no longer adequate, no longer sufficient to do that and to validate the safety, the continued operational safety of the vehicles on the highway. And I would suggest also that it this may it may get out of control if you know if if 50 different states are crafting inspection standards, you know, that people have to meet. I mean, this may be one of those areas similar to right to repair where a more cohesive solution might be, you know, a federal law um, in this area, because at that point, you know, you're not relying on all the states to choose first whether or not to even have a safety inspection. You know, 36, 35 states have already chosen not to do that. Um, so those 35 states probably aren't going to do anything here when you're talking about a much more, even more complex inspection system that they right. would have to put into place. So, uh, you know, a lot of this, I think, could be solved, you know, if, if the Fed simply required vehicles to do a self-inspection, you know, a, a reportable type self-inspection that, you know, you can print out and take to your state or send to your state and say, my car is good. Um, maybe that's, maybe that's the easier solution long-term. Um, we're not sure. Not sure. No, that's a, that's a great idea. I, I do want to point out that the federal government has done similar things in the past. For example, they have model, uh, specifications for commercial driver's licenses, right? Uh, there's no federal CDL, but every state has got a CDL and every state models their CDL on the federal uh, on the federal model. So I think that, you know, there's there's middle ground between all Fed and all state, but I agree with you that it would be really beneficial if the if the NHTSA, if the federal government, would take a look at this and, and start a project or start a process to define what's needed and uh, an implementable path forward. So, Michael, is California one of the states that has a safety requirement? I'm pretty sure they are, yes. Okay. I imagine they are too. So I think you got the GM Cruise Origin, the uh, ugly side of a Honda Odyssey connected to the ugly side of a Honda Odyssey, uh, with no steering wheel, no pedals, no things like that. And so um, you've got to take that in to get inspected. So you've got to convince this thing to go drive itself to a safety inspection station. They're building this thing, and so they're either thinking, hey, we're going to get around state regulations entirely was their goal or their goal is we don't give a crap. We're going to get around this no matter what. So it's, I mean, is that what Kyle's thinking? The law doesn't apply to me. Doesn't he know the, <laughs> that his time is up. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I don't have an idea either, but this is a fascinating, fascinating discussion. Um, but no, it's also fascinating. Recall Roundup. Oh, and for those of you uh, paying for the enhanced subscription with the video option, uh, Fred just had a dog on his lap. Um, yeah. And uh, but anyway, recall roundup time or also what I like to call is rear car camera failure time. Uh, let's start off with a Mazda with a failing rear camera. That's right. Mazda potentially 11,903 vehicles for their CX-90 hybrid electric vehicle. 
This is uh, vehicles with a 360-degree view monitor. Uh, vehicles equipped with a rear view monitor containing static guidelines are, or not equipped with the 360. Uh, that's okay. Blah, You're going to get stuck on all yeah, that stuff. Basically, wow. if you've got dynamic guidelines, you know what those are in your reverse where you see the lines guiding you, or you have the 360-degree view monitor, this could apply to you. And so what happens here? The uh, it. Oh, the loss of front, the camera's lost front side and rear view camera images, one in reverse or when using the 360 degree monitor can fail and increase the risk of crash. It's basically, I think it's video processing logic in the camera, right? That's causing this problem. So, oh. of course, they're, you know, they're, they're going to, I believe it's just a software update um, that should well. be available soon. Well, that's good. Now, let's continue with the Mazda thread. Hey, Mazda, you know, double header today. Yeah, we don't that. see a lot of Mazda recalls, so this is a little unusual to see two in a week. Yeah, two in a week. I mean, they don't sell a lot of cars, but still, we expect, you know, see them more often. I mean, uh, and this is 4,200 plus vehicles. This is the, again, the CX-90 hybrid electric. The Same car, engine, right. Yeah, the engine and electric motor may shut down with little to no warning in fail-safe mode. Well, how would I get to fail-safe mode? Why would I get to fail-safe mode? Is fail-safe mode really all that safe? I'm assuming this is similar to turtle mode or uh, the low-power modes that we see a lot of manufacturers put in when the vehicle's going to stall, uh, but they want to give it some drive power. Uh, Um, An an increase in the the FEV system inverter temperature above a specified threshold will activate the fail-safe mode. That's how we get into it. So basically, your system inverter temperature in your hybrid um powertrain and motor system i don't really know what that is fred can you explain what the system inverter would be is that changes current or something well inverter typically will change ac to dc or dc to ac that's uh and i i don't know the details of this so i'm not sure what so it looks like but, it's, it's but the battery of that. course is yeah. is dc and the motors may well be ac i i said we don't know how it's configured um, but it looks like this is going to be a software fix as well. They're just going to reprogram the powertrain and engine control modules to fix that so it won't turn off while you're driving. Mm. All right, we're going to jump to Honda now. Uh, the 2022 to 2024, uh, I said 2022. Yeah, that works. Uh, Honda Civic 4D. Uh, it's got 176,000-plus uh, vehicles. The steering racks um, are could fail. They're set to an incorrect stroke length, and if the steering rack stroke length exceeds a certain length while driving, the tire or tire with snow chains installed could contact the lower suspension arm and/or tie ride end. Todd, tie, tie, ah, hey, only one more recall after this. And I think this one was um, for people who already had their steering rack replaced once. Um, and we're, this is a replacement part that, that had an incorrect steering rack stroke length. Um, it could pop your tires uh, by contact. And also it appears there's some issues created with snow chains as well, which I'm sure get pretty interesting. Um, I'm not a snow chain guy. Fred, do you drive snow chains? <laughs> I actually uh, haven't done it in a while, but I've, I've done it in the past. So the steering oh. rack is the part of the steering that goes left and right to push the push the wheels, right, when you're steering it, as opposed to the pinion, which is connected to the, the shaft that turns the rack. Um, so, yeah, if it's, if it's too long, it's going to allow the wheels, and when you turn them, to impact some part of the car. That's generally speaking a bad idea. And when you get chains on the car, the effective diameter of the tire is increased by one or two inches because, you know, your centrifugal force is going to make the chains fly away from the tread as it goes around. So I can see where this would be a problem. How would something like this ever happen? Like, it's not like it, they don't change the length of these things during production. You know, they it's a Honda Civic. They've been making these things for like, 40 years it looks like the supplier here simply got a built them with a bad measurement and these parts were all sent out to metric to imperial 
They were yeah. sent out. Could be they were sent out to uh, dealerships and you know repair places, and they were the wrong link. So if you got your car fixed, it was not fixed. It was or made more less safe. In many could have been the Spinal Tap problem: thirteen inches versus thirteen feet. Mm. Uh, something like that. Yeah, it yeah. probably seemed like a good idea at the time somehow. Okay, speaking of Spinal Tap, if you've got more money than brains, you might have a Lucid. Uh, look, I, I say that as somebody who thought the Lucid was a really cool concept at first, and I think I think it, you know, it had potential. But uh, every single one of their cars manufacturers has been recalled at this point, and now they have a uh, one thousand two hundred sixty-seven more Lucid Air twenty twenty-two to twenty-three vehicles. Uh, software change introduced the Lucid Air vehicles in version two point one point zero. Removed active temperature monitoring control for the rear seat heaters in certain non-driving vehicle modes. Basically, you want to burn your ass? Drive a Lucid. Uh, this is horrible. And another example of uh, why software, eh, it kind of works, you know, but let's put it in cars. Yeah, I mean, that's what the fix is here. It's going to be, you know, it's, it, it's odd to think that, you know, a, a, a seat heater that, you know, it, it looks like the, can char the seats uh, or burn the seats um that this is a software issue but it appears that it is um there's a lot of things that operate in lucidor um but you know looks like they're going to get it fixed pretty quick because you can already download a software fix for it and they say to up update as soon as possible for those well do we have any listeners that own lucids <laughs> if you do, if you want to listen a Lucid and you listen to this show, if you want to Lucid and you listen to this show, we like you a lot and we'd like you if you donated. Uh, so please do that. But yeah, I don't know if you've ever, uh, we rented a car once and I'm driving and all of a sudden I'm sweating. I'm like, oh my God, my butt is on fire. My wife's handbag accidentally hit the seat heaters and I, I'd never been in a car with heated seats before and it was like middle of August. I'm like, I'm dying here. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing, not a fan you know, at all. 60 miles per hour trying to figure out where this thing is. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't oh. a Lucid. Honda Kia stole it. I didn't see what. All right. Hey, with that, listeners, uh, we thank you for your time as always, and we thank you for your donations. But more importantly, we thank you for telling your friends about how you had such a great time on the show. Oh, wait, did we have listener mail? We had listener mail. Oh, man, I got to find it. Ah, does anyone have listener mail in front of them? I don't know. Somebody wrote in and said, yeah, never in my backyard. Like, that was their entire comment. Yeah, no I still don't understand that, but I believe they were discussing uh, electric vehicles. I'm not sure. They didn't. There was no concept. It was literally Sometimes somebody. Sometimes we get these yeah. missives that come in and, and don't make a lot of sense. Uh, but we yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> so, hey, thanks, listeners. Uh, give us five stars. Tell all your friends. Uh, donate. Donate often. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Now I press stop. Thanks, y'all. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.